0: Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. You're listening to the Wijha Initiative Podcast. These podcast episodes are recordings of our past events that we hold in person on a weekly basis. We hope that by listening to the podcast you'll be inspired to join us at an event. To keep up with our work, please follow us on Instagram. Alright inshallah, Let's uh, <clears throat> let's get started. Yeah. الحمد لله رب العالمين وأفضل وأتم التسليم على سيدنا محمد وآل وصحبه أجمعين. اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا من فضلك علما وعملا يا رب العالمين أما بعد. Good evening and welcome back as, uh, as we continue after a few weeks. Do we have any first timers? Anyone who's coming for the first time? Masha'Allah, we do. So I hope the rest of us will make uh, make them feel welcome, Insha'Allah. Make sure that we introduce ourselves and uh, ensure that they that they've made friends before they leave, Insha'Allah. That's always something we encourage here. Is uh, before you leave, if you can, if there's someone that you don't know, just to try to introduce yourself and um, get to know the person. That's how we build community, and that's how we we transcend those boundaries of language, ethnicity, uh, which city you come from versus which city I live in. We, 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 we transcend all of that when we take the initiative to, to welcome each other, inshallah. All right. Um, the names. So today we're going to discuss two names of Allah Ta'ala. They're related and that's why we're going to discuss both of them today. The names are Al-Kabir and Al-Mutakabbir. Al-Kabir and Al-Mutakabbir. And they both come from the same root letters Kaf, Ba and Ra. And so that the, those root letters generally, we would translate them to be to contain the meaning of to be big, to be big, kabir, in Arabic. Um, but then we also say great. Okay, so we want to start first with al-kabir. When we say al-kabir, the first thing we want to clarify is that. We're not talking about Allah Ta'ala being big. You notice that we don't translate that. Al-Kabir is the biggest. Uh, The bigger, we don't don't say that. Because when you say big, there's some type of size implied. Either physical size, that something is physically bigger. um, Or in some other aspect, that this thing is bigger. There's a, there's a physicality implied here. And so when we talk about Allah, we don't use Kabir or these root letters in the meaning of bigger. We use greater. Because with greater now, we're talking about significance, value. Allah is greater, Allah is more important. Right? So the, the big is not physical. It's greatness, status. And Al-Kabir. When we say Allah Ta'ala, now how do you translate Al-Kabir? Al-Kabir, if you if you be you know very simple, you just translate as the great. But with Allah, we will not say He's merely great. We say He's the greatest. The scholars also say that you can translate that as the one who is greater. Greater. Then the question becomes, if something is greater, that's a a comparative, you know, um, term. Greater. Greater than what? Greater than everything. Greater than everything. What makes Allah great? You say Allah is great. In what aspect? What what does that even mean? What do we understand when we think about Allah is great? Ya'ni what? Any thoughts here? He's the greatest priority in our life. Okay, yes. He's the greatest priority. He must be the greatest priority. Yes. That's more now. That is more... And from our subjective perspective, from my view, he needs to be the greatest priority. We're saying Allah himself is the greatest. There's none no other like him, 100%. Why is that so great? To be different, is that in itself enough to be great? Just to be different? The scholars when they talk about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's attributes, one of them that they mention is lil Hawadith. Yeah. yeah, it's me. His dissimilarity to creation. <coughs> Allah is great, He's the greatest. Because there is none like him, none amongst creation. At the highest level, you could divide ontologically. Dad. There is the Creator and everything else is creation. وَكُلُّ مَسِّي وَاللَّهِ Taala is Muhdaf. Everything other than Allah is creation. Allah is not like His creation. He's not like His creation. And, and therein we can begin to understand His greatness. You ever, you ever heard of this, when people speak about Allah and they talk about Allah, you ever heard of scholars who are very, very apprehensive about describing Allah in human terms? You ever heard that? When scholars talk about Allah and they say, uh, you know, Allah, there, there's, there's Arabic expressions for this, right? So they'll say, ولله mathalul A'la." الْأَعْلَىٰ They'll give an example to try to explain something about Allah and they'll say, but for Allah is the highest example. Like our examples will always fall short. Uh, they'll say they'll talk about Allah and then they'll say but as it befits his majesty when, we just, when you talk about Allah using human expressions the scholars always qualify that by saying but it's not like humans it's, it's very unique it's, it's, it's as it befits Allah why do they do that? Why is it such a bad thing to talk about Allah like He's just a creation like anybody else? Because in doing so you negate His greatness. You negate His Why? Because human beings, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created them, All, all humans and all creation, deficient, weak, and full of flaws. Every human and all of creation. Full of flaws. And so when we begin to speak about Allah like a human, we are beginning to attribute deficiencies and flaws to Allah. When we begin to understand Allah's greatness, it's that He is not like His creation. And that's how we can begin to understand how great He is, is. He's not like us. He's not like us. The Quran has a very clear expression about this. Laisa kamithlihi shay. And I want you guys to think about this for a second, because therein lies his perfection. He, see, he's not like us. We are people of, like I said, flaws, deficiencies, imperfections, weakness. Allah's not like that, which means he is full of perfection. Perfection. We say Subhanallah. That Allah is free from any defect or blemish, right? Allah is free from all of that. He transcends all of that. This is how we begin to think about and understand Allah's greatness. And that's why it's really important. That's why you'll find the scholars are very careful when they talk about Allah to not talk about Allah like a human being. Not only like in terms of, you know, physically speaking, but also the way we we deal with Allah. And I've spoken about this before. With human beings, we can fall prey to our emotions. And we can make bad judgments and, and behave in a way that's not, that's not appropriate, that's not the best way, right? And it happens to all of us where we regret it later on. We say, Man, why did I do that? Why did I say that? I shouldn't have done that. My emotions got the best of me, my anger. Allah does not have emotions. And so there's no possibility of falling prey. To those moments of weakness that humans fall prey to. You understand the point I'm trying to make here? That's why it's really important for us to declare Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's greatness and His dissimilarity to creation. Now, human beings, like I said, were created weak, full of flaws, imperfections. No human has ever been given everything. There is no human who was ever given everything the most perfect of creation was our Prophet but in terms of other creation and other humans (coughs) no one was given everything now when human beings are born what's the first thing you did when Talha was born or these children were born what's the first thing you do you give the Adhan and you give the Iqamah Right, One in each ear. What do you say in the adhan? What's the first words of the adhan? <laughs> Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. You, you, you remind that child coming into the world that, oh child, as you go forward, everything you're going to face from here on in, in your life, as challenging as it may seem, as daunting and overwhelming as the situation may become. Remember, Allahu Akbar, Allah is greater. Allah is greater. First words that child hears. And then, believers, we hear this every single day. We hear it in the Adhan, right? You hear it in the Adhan. What's the main message in the Adhan? What's the main message? It's not a trick question. Well, not really. Right? Well, we call Adhan the call to prayer. Where in the Adhan do we have those words where we call to prayer? Hayya ala salat, which comes later on. Why not just, just stand up and just go, Hayya ala salat. Come on everybody, just come. That's what the whole objective is. Just stand up and say, Hayya ala salat. Why do we have to, yeah, exactly. We have to remind people of Allah's greatness. Why? Because of what we all do. It's Salat time, and what do we say? Just a second, just a second, let me finish this level. Let me beat this level, right? Just a second, let's finish this game. Just a second, and we put things off. We're being called to prayer, but we put off the prayer because there's something important going on. The Adhan starts by saying, Allahu Akbar, Allah's greater than whatever you're doing. Whatever thought comes to your mind, oh, let me finish with my makeup. Allahu Akbar, go pray. Your prayer comes first. Allah is greater. He's a greater priority. You understand the point I'm trying to make here? This adhan, we hear it now. The sad thing is we don't hear the adhan. We don't hear the adhan, right? Because the adhan happens in the masjid here. Other parts of the world, it happens outside and you hear every single adhan. But if you didn't hear the Adhan, it's okay. I mean, you missed out on hearing the Adhan. But when you showed up for the prayer, what's the first thing you hear? Allahu Akbar. Because just in case, just in case your mind was still on something of the world, as a reminder, Allah is greater. Get that on your mind. Allahu Akbar. Allah is greater. You know, the beauty is, and this is a, this is a different way to look at prayer. And one person said it like this, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting statement. You know some people, they'll, they'll make dua and they'll say, Oh Allah, Oh Allah, I have big problems in my life. Oh Allah, I have big problems. So one scholar, he said, change your wording and say, Oh problems, I have a great Allah. Oh problems, I have a great Allah. As you face challenges throughout your daily life on a daily basis, Around the corner, there's always another prayer waiting for you, where you have to stand up and remind yourself that no matter what that problem is, Allahu Akbar. And you don't say it once in the prayer. Do you just say Allahu Akbar at the beginning and that's it? It's like every movement, almost every movement in the prayer is with saying Allahu Akbar. That wherever you turn And whichever direction you go in in life, Allahu Akbar. This is very central, right? This name of Allah, Al-Kabir, is very central to how we think about the world, to how we understand the world and experience the world. Now, (coughs) it's important also, when we think about Al-Kabir, to apply our understanding of Al-Kabir to the, to the different things we face in our lives. Like I said, human beings are weak, we have imperfections, we have flaws. So what happens? We go through things in life where we become hopeless. Or we become on the, on the verge of losing hope. Is that not the case? The Quran talks about prophets and the followers of prophets becoming worried prophets Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala asked the question am hasibatum an tadkhulul jannata walamma ya'tikum mathalul ladina khalaw min qablikum massathumul ba'sa'u wad-dara'u wuzulzilu hatta yaqulur rasul wal ladina amanu ma'hu? mata nasrullah that Allah ta'ala asks Do you think you're going to enter paradise and be entitled to paradise? Whereas up until now, the challenges that the people before you faced, they haven't come to you? You think you're deserving of paradise when you haven't even proven yourself? Then Allah begins to describe and He says, The people before you, they were afflicted with difficulties and with hardships. And they were shaken. Allah says, They were shaken. To the point that the Messenger, the Qur'an says, حَتَّى يَقُولَ rasul," That the Messenger among those people, and those that followed that Messenger, they all said, when will the help of Allah come? Human beings face situations where either you lose hope, or you're on the verge of losing hope. How often? You might lose hope in somebody. Does that happen, no? You you just lose hope, this person's hopeless. Forget about it. We find with the Prophet that there was nobody who was really hopeless. Someone, like he had hope in people who were bent on killing him. Oh Allah, guide Umar And what was Umar doing at that time? Was he like, Umar was not the friend who's like expressed interest in Islam, like yo, inshallah, he'll become Muslim. He wasn't that friend. This was somebody ready to kill the Prophet and give Given the opportunity, where did the Prophet see that maybe he'll be guided? It's like he's like the furthest from guidance. It would seem, right? No, because these were enemies. There's a book. I don't know. The, I don't remember the name. Is it called apostate? It's the Dutch. You know the Dutch politician? No, it was a politician. Yeah, it's something. I don't know how to pronounce his name. Right, he, he was pretty much a hardcore Islamophobe. And then he accepted Islam after a correspondence with like scholars and stuff. I mean, if you were to read his story and see how Islamophobic he was and all the things he did against Muslims, That's the last person you'd expect to accept Islam. Because what do we do? We only focus on creation. The Prophet ﷺ, when dealing with creation, his focus was on the Creator. And if your focus is on the Creator, there's always hope. Because as unlikely as it may seem that this person will change, the hearts lie in the control of Ar-Rahman. The Hadith says he flips hearts as he pleases. He turns hearts as he pleases. That's why we have that du'a, Ya Mukallib Al Qulub, Ya Mukallib Al Qulub, Thabbit Qalbi Oh, the Turner of Hearts. Turn my heart and fasten and, and, and strengthen my heart upon Your Deen. Because Allah is the Turner of Hearts. That's when you don't lose hope. And we really need that today. In a time where you see, I see parents give up on their children. Shaykh, there's no hope. I've told them a thousand times. What about the uh, one thousand and first time? You understand my point here? With Allah, then all hope is never lost. Because nothing is impossible for Allah. To change someone's heart, to turn someone's heart is not impossible. As unlikely as it may seem. All right? So when we begin to understand that Allah is greater than all the circumstances and situations around me, we don't give up on people. We don't lose hope in people. We don't lose hope in ourselves. We don't lose hope in ourselves. It's okay, it's fine. Who is it? Is it me? Is it me? Oh. It's me.
1: Oh, it's you. I don't
0: see you though. Where are you? Oh, there you are. There you are. Now we see you. Now nobody can see anything. I think you need to move. Oh. Wait. Yeah, yeah. you you're taking up all the space. Look. Are you laughing too at me now? Yeah. So. You don't lose hope in yourself. Allah is greater than your addictions. Allah is greater than all your bad habits. Allah is greater than all the mistakes you've made. That's why there are many du'as and even poetry in which we hear scholars and the pious expressing how, oh Allah, my sins are great. But your forgiveness is greater. Right? My sins are great. But Compared to your forgiveness, they're nothing. You don't give up on yourself. Ibn Ata'illah, he has a, a, a hikam, an aphorism where he says, The one who believes and who thinks and who, the one who finds it far-fetched that Allah would ever save them from their desires, that person has not appreciated Allah's power, His Qudrah." His Qudra. You know, you hear people say that. I, I've literally met people who said, Shit, I've tried, just, there's no hope for me, man. Just forget about it. They give up on themselves. They really believe it's not possible for them to change and to come back. And if someone says, hey, I can't change. Do you know what I say to them? I say, absolutely, you're 100% right. You can't change. Alone? Alone you want to change yourself? Not happening. With Allah, anybody can change, anyone can change. And that's, and the one who believes like, like, no, no, shit, trust me, it's bad, it's really bad out here. I'm not talking looking at me or you, I'm talking looking at the power of Allah, Allah is greater, His power is greater, He can change, you, your habits, your addictions, your struggles, your relationships Allah is greater and he can heal all of that and that's why it is haram it is impermissible for the believer to become hopeless the quran says the only people who become hopeless are those who've rejected allah la ya'asu illa kafirun the only people who would lose hope in allah's mercy are those who reject Allah? What if you say La ilaha illallah and you've lost hope? Well, there's a certain understanding of Allah that you have that's quite flawed. It's like you believe that Allah cannot forgive. He doesn't have the power to forgive. Your sins are so great and so bad that Allah can't forgive. Is that? Well iyad rubillah, what will you believe? And so the believer never becomes hopeless. The one who becomes hopeless has in fact rejected Allah. And it is impermissible for the believer to become hopeless in that way. To become hopeless in that way. Now, with that said, and so, again, that's just one more point I want to make about the prayer. That's why in the prayer, we're always saying, Allahu Akbar. And we pray five times a day. Allahu Akbar. That's why in the days of sacrifice, what, what do we say? A lot. a lot of takbir. Why? Because when you're going to make sacrifices, what happens? <coughs> what ends up happening when you, when you go to make sacrifice? You begin to have doubts. How many people have doubts when they go to make some sacrifice? When you have to give zakat. Zakat is a form of sacrifice. When you have to slaughter an animal, it's expensive. You've got to slaughter an animal. When you've got to do all these good deeds, it's a sacrifice you're making and you begin to have doubts, thoughts. Uh, no one will know if I don't do it. Maybe I should just skip it. In that moment, you have to remind yourself what? Allahu Akbar. And so in the days of sacrifice, we repeat it. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. La ilaha illallah, Allahu, Akbar. Allahu Akbar, wa lillahi alhamd. We keep saying this over and over again. That, oh Allah, the sacrifice I'm going to make, you're greater. Allah is greater than my sacrifice. Therefore, I should never back away from this sacrifice. The Prophet Ibrahim alayhi salam did not back away from the sacrifice. Because Allah is greater. Allah is greater. Right? And in the prayer, it's a, it's a very... Common explanation given that when we stand up for the prayer, we raise our hands and then we fasten them, right? As though we're casting the world behind us. Saying, whatever's in my mind, Allah Akbar. You know in Turkey, when I was in Turkey right now, if you've seen the masajid, almost always you'll see they have a courtyard. You know like, there's a courtyard, and in the middle of the courtyard often there's a place for wudu and then you go inside, inside the masjid. And this happens in other parts of the world as well. Right? And so, one of the tour guides is explaining this and Allah knows if it's... It's, a, it's, a, it's from the asrar, it's one of those you know esoteric extrapolations made. Allah knows how accurate it is, but it's a very interesting idea. He basically explains that, listen, imagine you're at home You're busy with your family and you're busy with your work or whatever else, right? And then the call to prayer comes, right? Adhan goes off. Allah abhaqam. So you leave what you're doing. What often happens though? You're still thinking about it. Right? You leave home. And how many people leave home already making plans for when I come back? When I come back from the prayer, I'm going to do this and that. And he explained that one of the wisdoms behind having a courtyard is that when you enter the courtyard, before entering the masjid, you have this little space where you've disconnected now. You've you've left the dunya. You left your house in the marketplace. You're now in like this 50-50 zone. And the, the goal is that before you enter the house of Allah, that you have... Oriented yourself towards your Lord. Whilst you're in the marketplace, you're going to be focused on, the, on, on business and on different things. And you don't want to enter the house of Allah. Allah's house, thinking about the dunya. And so there's a courtyard, a little space, where you have time to try to get it out of your mind before you step into the presence of your Lord. That little buffer zone. That idea that Allah is greater than everything that I was busy with. You know when you're studying, how many people when they're studying for an exam and maybe you have an exam that very day, you start to think, oh man, I gotta pray, I gotta study. How many people do that? No, but I still got three chapters. And I gotta go pray, Lord, oh man. Maybe I'll just pray by myself, I won't go to the prayer room. What's greater? Your studies or Allah? What's greater? your ability to prepare for your exam, or seeking Allah's help in your exam. Look, man, you should have been studying days before anyways, right? Like, let's not even go there, right? Like, that last minute thing is is our fault anyways. So, to now be like, no, no, my exam is more important. No, no, your procrastination is the problem here, right? Allah is greater. And with Allah being greater, now this brings us to the second name you want to talk about, which is Al-Mutakabbir, the one who has pride. Who can have pride? The one who truly has perfection, that's worthy of being proud of. Allah is Al-Mutakabbir, the proud. And there's a hadith which says that the one who tries to compete with Allah, in being proud, Allah will throw that person headfirst into the fire. Why? Because human beings, when they try to be prou- proud, they're doing so unjustly. What do we have to be proud of? If it's any good, it's a blessing from Allah. And if it's any bad, what are you being proud of something evil for? You understand? There's a hadith. Many of us will have heard this hadith where the Prophet ﷺ said, La The one who has like the smallest particle of pride will not enter paradise. How many people have heard that hadith? Right? Yeah, a lot of people have heard that hadith. So typically what do we understand from that hadith? We understand that I need to do my best to completely eradicate pride from my heart. To completely get rid of it. Let's look at it from a slightly different angle. If you're not allowed to have the smallest particle of pride, it means you don't even have the smallest particle of perfection to make a claim to. Right? Like, like imagine. Imagine you said, oh Allah, I won't be proud about all the things that are out of my control. Oh Allah, You've you know, blessed me with a good family. I won't be proud of that. Oh Allah, You've given me uh, really many opportunities in my life that I, never, I could never have you know, asked for. I'm grateful for that. I won't be proud of that. But Oh Allah, you know the hard work I put in to, to complete that degree? You know the hard work I did in trying to raise this child? all the hard work I put in to earn that money, I'm going to be proud of that. Do you understand? Because I mean, we put all that hard work in. So oh Allah, I'm going, to take, I'm going to take credit for that. I'm going to be proud of that. The hadith is telling us, no. There's no particle of pride that's allowed. Because you, you human have nothing really to be proud of. What is it that you have done what is it that I have done that we can actually be proud of? Do you understand what I'm trying to say? The point I'm trying to make here? Does this make sense to you? Like he didn't say, the one who is proud of those things which were purely Allah's blessings, that person will go to the fire. He didn't say that. He said, no single particle of pride. Meaning, there is nothing that you have that that you deserve to be proud of. To take credit for. Now, I want to clarify what I mean when I say to be proud of. Because some people are like, so I can't even be happy when I'm graduating? No, you can be. I'm not saying that. We're saying pride meaning to take full credit for it. It was me. And I always give that example of, you know, I want to thank me for being me and all that kind of business. Right? Like it's all me. That's the pride that, that is very, very disliked by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah is Al-Mutakabbir. And the one who wants to be proud and compete with Allah and say, Oh Allah, you are the greatest and, 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 and you've given me a lot. But Oh Allah, I've done a little bit too. What have you done? What have I done? Independent of Allah. What have we done? Nothing. Nothing. And that's why it's especially bad for us to be proud of things that we did nothing for. Imagine someone's proud of their genetics. Allah has genetically gifted them with, for example, beauty. And then they want to use beauty as a source of pride. On what basis? Like if someone works for something and then is proud about it, they're wrong. But you can begin to see the logic, right? Like you did work hard, so I get why you're trying to be proud. Why you would take credit, I get it. You did nothing for this. And you want to be proud of it? Intelligence, you're very smart. That's from Allah. And you want to be proud of that? Like that's especially bad. And so, Allah is al mutakabar. The one who is truly and deserves to be proud. And that's why Allah in the Quran will make statements of pride. Because again, there is perfection for which to be proud of. And we are full of imperfections. What are we being proud of? Now, how do we live with these names? And I want to finish with that. We live with these names, number one, by being humble. By attributing all of our successes, all the good that we have to Allah in all situations. And to to be very careful and wary of these thoughts that creep into one's heart. Because it happens all the time to all of us. Where I did this and it was me and my efforts. And we begin to pat ourselves on the back. May Allah save us from that. And that's why there's a dua. Oh Allah, make me small in my own eyes. Allahumma ja'alni fi aini Oh Allah, make me small in my own eyes. Don't let me consider myself to be something great. But in the eyes of people, oh Allah, make me respected. Make me respected, why? So that, so that I, I can be a source of benefit to them. So that they don't harm me. Right, so we live with humility, acknowledging that all that we have is from Allah. And we have no reason to be proud. And to be fearful. To be fearful of having that particle of pride in our hearts. It's something that, I don't know about you guys, it terrifies me. Because man, particles? Dude, I got like. I got like forests up in there, you know what I mean? Like I don't know about you guys, but it's, it's, Allah forgive us. It's, it's, it's really terrible. You know, how many people when they read about shaitan, they think, what the heck's wrong with shaitan? Like, what a fool. Like, dude, you were, you were such a pious guy, and then you wanted to actually like, fight with Allah and say, no, I'm not going to prostrate. You ever done that? You ever read that story and kind of go like, really shaitan? Like, what were you thinking? There's a, there's a bit of shaitan in all of us. There's a bit of shaitan in all of us. Where as much as we believe in Allah, at times we kind of want to you know, take some credit for things. And that's where that pride sneaks in. Now, how else do we live with this name? We live by constantly, not just saying the words Allahu Akbar, but to reflect on the meaning of Allahu Akbar. To reflect on the meaning of Allahu Akbar. Imagine every single time you said Allahu Akbar, you thought about what it meant. And you thought about everything you were going through in life, and you applied Allahu Akbar to it. Oh Allah, I have this big challenge coming up. I have this exam coming up. I have this, this coming up. Oh Allah, you're greater. And so I turn to you in the hope that you will make it easy for me. That you will help me through it. The Quran describes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and says, that He is with you wherever you may be. Imagine now you begin to live your life in a way where you feel that Allah is with you. Because every time you face something, you tell yourself, Allahu Akbar. Every situation you're turning to Allah. Every goodness you're turning to Allah. That's why believers are people of radical tawheed. Radical tawheed. It's almost like we're obsessed with Allah. Why? Because everything we have is from Him. And it's meant to turn us to Him. And so may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us tawfiq. To realize, to make His greatness to the greatest, to the best of our abilities and reality in our lives. To internalize the meanings of Allahu Akbar. And to live with humility. Amin ya Rabbil Alameen. وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على سيدنا محمد وآله وصحبه أجمعين والحمد لله رب العالمين ولكل وجهة هو مولئها فاستبقوا الخيرات أينما تكونوا يأتي الله جميعا إن الله على كل شيء قدير